0: Sharon
1: Stone Tomahawk, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to a very special edition of I Like to Movie Movie. My name is Dan Scully.
0: My name is Garrett Smith, and I love this new twist on the intro. <laughs> I love that we keep having to twist it further. You just upgraded us a whole nother level. I can't wait to do episodes. I'm just stunned. Like, I, there should be more than like 10 movies if I put bone into IMDb. <gasps> I agree. But there's not. Dan? We've now hit on what we need to do, which is come up with some sort of movie series that has bone in the title.
1: Ooh, I'm into it.
0: We'll make our bone, millions on bone, the bone, bone movies. Bone
1: alone. Yeah. Home oh, bone. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. It's crazy. We'll make our millions on bone movies. But thank you to everybody for uh, tuning in. Yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll hit you with... Jesus, sorry. The cat's get on me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> she's so cute, though. Uh, check Adam's us out. Adam's going to be I so delighted that this is how his episode two. started. All that fun stuff. You know where to, like, find and subscribe all that. And so uh, today we have a very special episode in anticipation of Nightstream, yeah. which is a film festival that begins this week. It is an online film festival that is corralling a whole bunch of different <laughs> horror festivals that weren't able to happen, such as like the Overlook Fest, and making sort of a super group of all of the material. And I've had a good look at some of the uh, programming and there's some really phenomenal stuff. So you definitely want to check out Nightstream. And one of the movies in Nightstream is a lovely film that Garrett and I got to check out called Dinner in America. Yeah. And so today we are interviewing, we already did interview, we're recording this afterwards, sorry i just want to make sure i say his name absolutely correctly Ooh, i have it we have in front the, of me and I the actually... writer director
0: of of
1: dinner in america and that's adam raymeyer
0: raymeyer i was gonna say actually i typed out what he told me the pronunciation of his name was yeah yeah adam i Raymeier. wanted to make sure
1: i said it right uh, uh, he and... could not have been cooler and he gave us a real deep dive into his movie uh production wise thematic wise just the whole process great stuff
0: We had a great conversation with Adam, and I think I can encourage people that, despite the fact that we talk about spoilers up front and and stuff, I don't think we actually spoil his movie that much. I think you can listen to this conversation and still get a lot out of this movie. We recommend that you see it on uh, October 10th as part of Nightstream. Uh, Yes, it's
1: October 10th. That's this Saturday. At uh, 9 p.m. Eastern, the way that Nightstream works is there's going to be a window in which you can watch each movie. Uh, It's the same thing that Fantastic Fest did last week where it's just uh, there's a four hour window from the time it drops where you get to watch it at your leisure. Um, And if you look, I, I don't have the prices on me, but all of the price points for Nightstream are like really, really, really good. Yeah, And it's just such a great spread of flicks, so definitely check it out. It's worth the ticket price if you just watch Dinner in America.
0: Yes, and and, uh, you'll hear Dan and I speak very effusively about this movie as we interview Adam, Uh, but I want to assure you that's not just because we're speaking to Adam. Dan and I both really loved this movie and cannot recommend that you check it out enough. Um, Yeah, it's cool. It's indescribable. Yeah, I, I don't know how to describe it. It's like it reminded me a little bit of a Joseph Kahn movie, but that's not even uh, doing it justice. Uh, you know what so... it
1: reminded me of a bit? Have you ever seen
0: Hesher? I have, yes. It kind of reminded yes. me of Hesher. That just clicked in my head right now. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, um, yeah. People, it keeps getting billed as a punk rock rom com, and that's a fine enough billing for it. But um, keep yeah, your mind open. Yeah, yeah. Keep keep your mind open. It's a it's a really really great flick. It's very funny, um, and and I found very emotionally resonant. Um, and has fantastic music throughout. Uh, we, we cannot recommend this enough. So please watch yeah. it and then come back. Agreed and on all fronts. Adam. Uh, but if for some reason you don't have a chance to see it, we think you can probably uh, listen to this interview with Adam, even having not seen the movie and get a lot out of it. Um, so I think we'll probably turn it over to our interview with Adam now, and then we'll uh, see you guys on the other side of that.
1: Yes. Pat Healy. Sorry. I just
0: wanted to say his name because he's <laughs> in the movie. He is. Yeah. Kyle Gallner's in the movie too. It's re- Leah Thompson. What a cast. Oh, okay. my God. She's for she is like unageable. She looks the same as she did in that movie where she played a teenager and a 40-year-old woman. She still looks <laughs> yeah. like a
1: teenager. I believe actually in Back to the Future she is uh younger than Michael J. Fox. Holy moly. And yeah. plays his mom and I I know for a fact that um Crispin Glover who plays George is younger than Michael J. Fox. It's wild. Wild fact. Yeah. Wild it's facts crazy.
0: about Back to the Future. So now
1: Doc Brown, older than everybody.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Uh, We'll turn you over to our interview with um, Adam Raymeyer, the writer and director and editor of Dinner in America.
1: So I've got
2: Force Vengeance, Lone Wolf McQuaid. I've got Breaker Breaker and The Octagon.
0: Oh,
1: that's amazing. That's incredible. Right on. It
2: is incredible. 100%. My boys are growing up like, right. They're growing up with Chuck, (laughs) you know, the Church of
0: Chuck. (laughs) Hey, Adam, can (laughs) you uh, help me with your last name really quick? How do I pronounce that?
2: Ray Meyer.
0: Ray Meyer, awesome. Yes, Ray, Ray. Meyer, very good. Right well, on. so we're gonna forego doing intros and stuff. We'll do that on our own later. Like, if you're ready, oh, we're okay. just gonna like jump oh. right in. If that's cool.
2: Yeah, you guys, I can tell already are my people. You know, <laughs> so, right. this is good. We're all friends here. Oh shit, let me get a water. I'll be right back.
0: Perfect.
1: Right on. So I guess there was an empty chuck mug. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, he just has a chuck mug that he uh, needed to <laughs> show us the chuck mug.
1: Uh, that's incredible Love Which, it. Uh, wait, which Chuck, Chuck Norris is in a Bruce Lee movie is it Return
0: of the Dragon
1: or I think you're right it's got a weird return, name Return, yeah, return yeah. of the Dragon yeah, okay. I know <laughs> back in the day there was uh, you know everybody talked about their Chuck Norris facts yeah. and I'm happy to say that I have written one Chuck Norris fact and it is around the movie Return of the Dragon and the fact is uh, Chuck Norris gets his ass kicked by bruce lee in return of the dragon yeah. but if you look closely it's not chuck norris it's just a stunt man yeah and if you look that's really it. closely it's not bruce lee it's wow. chuck norris wow wow <laughs> boom that's the only one i ever
2: wrote wow. i like that a lot
1: i've never had an outlet for it until this moment so
2: uh, thank and you. I, you know chuck is chuck is such a part of my childhood you know like all the early emulation. You know.
0: Oh, I just yeah. watched uh, Invasion USA for the first time recently, which was... Because
2: so uh, it was on Prime and you were like, should I? You know?
0: uh, exactly. And the answer was probably not, but it was worth my time, kind of.
2: It was. It was not, it's not my favorite, but, you know, uh, that that shit with Richard Lynch, that repetitive, like, time to die is, like, really great. Like, yeah. anytime you got somebody, you know, telling you that it's time to die, it's, it's fucking great.
1: Yeah, uh, I remember well, as a kid, my grandmother. My grandmother loved Walker Texas Ranger yeah, she to did. the point where we'd be sitting there watching it, and like my grandmother, quietest lady in the world, she'd be sitting there, and then he'd start like kicking a drug dealer or something. She'd just be like, "Get him, get him, Walker!" Yeah. Like, Nana, where,
2: where is this coming from? It's so crazy how he be- like how it morphed from like the films to like the TV side, and then like the the fan base literally became like older. You know 60 70 or 80 year old I mean my grandparents watch Walker as well I was like wow this is something I think he's
1: like the good old good old American boy Chuckles Norris you know and so they just (laughs) eat that shit up
2: which we share that with our grandparents I love for Norris you know Uh,
0: well Adam thanks for uh, joining us tonight on uh, I like to movie movie I'll maybe use this as a cut point I don't know
2: I like to movie movie I like to movie movie my I guy like, knows movie, it. Movie, I like. Yes, of course, brother.
0: Yeah, yes, yes. <laughs> uh, dude. Uh, so, I mean, I don't want to like uh, start this by immediately just like uh, uh, sucking you off or anything. But uh, yes, I really, you do. I do. <laughs> That's exactly what you want to do. I je- I loved your movie so much. Thank
1: you. Uh, I j-
0: I watched it last night, not knowing your name prior to watching it. Apologies. Not no. not having heard of the movie prior to Dan sending me a link to it knowing that I was going to get to interview you, but just kind of curious and just like totally lo- like loved you. I, by the end, so are you okay if we spoil your movie for our audience? We always talk spoilers about movies as we talk yeah, them. let's but do it.
1: Let's spoil it. Let's spoil is that cool? It. Let's spoil yeah, it. our audience yeah, comes with that yeah. understanding. Yeah.
0: All right. So, I, I mean, and by the way, I don't even think this is much of a spoiler, but by the end of the movie, when the asshole is telling the spaz that she's punk as fuck, I started to cry. Good. I like it. Really got me. I, I your movie totally worked and built me to the point where that mattered that much to me. I loved this movie. I really had a blast with it, and I'm so happy that you're here and I get to talk to you about it.
2: I'm so happy. Thank you. So happy. That's wonderful to hear. I'm glad yeah. that it did, and I feel like that the film is, uh you know, it's a love story for misfits like all of us. You know, it's it's, <laughs> it's one it's one that, uh, and I'm and I'm finding that out right now. As it finds an audience, you know that people can really, they can really r- rally behind Simon and Patty as this film in a mm-hmm. very unique way that they're able to personalize. And like, where I'd love to say, you know, it's a film for genre fans because it is, and it plays like. I just wish you could have seen it in the theater because it plays. <laughs> Me too. It, it it plays like Grindhouse adjacent, which is so fun. It's yeah. it's like everybody's yelling and rowdy and like I, the screenings that we have had in person have been so much fun. And, um, you know, that's my, my background. My love is is all horror and genre stuff, uh, exploitation, southern exploitation, black exploitation, you know, kung fu movies, martial arts stuff, you know, car chase films, like everything. So I feel like this is a love story for people who like
1: those types of films, you know? And- Well, you found your crap us, for sure.
0: Yeah. yeah. I- and and I can feel that energy on the movie. Like, I texted Dan right after I got done, and that was the first thing we started talking about was the unique energy that this movie has. And like, the closest thing that I could find was, like the, I, I, like, the opening, probably 15 minutes or so, really called to mind, like, Joseph Kahn's detention for me. Just that really kinetic sort of the camera work and the music and the characters are all, like, very aggressive. Um, and, and so you set the tone for this aggressive world that then the story is about these two people finding just like a tiny slice of happiness inside of, you know, um, which just worked like gangbusters for me.
2: Good. I'm glad that it did. You know, I'm I'm always happy when it resonates with people and I'm always happy when people are surprised, like they go and they, they kind of get that abrasive exterior that feels, you know, very much like it's all it's by design. So it's, it's, it's like you have, you know, if you're, if you're, going, this is a film that strangely you can watch with your parents. It's so weird. Like, like, and the first, you know, part of it is abrasive and, and they probably don't like the same music that you like. So it's like them listening to this abrasive thing, but then hearing the message behind it, it becomes sweeter and, yep. it, and, it, and it softens like that, you know, enormous six foot 11 metal head that loves kittens, you know, it's, like, uh-huh. it's in there though. So. <laughs> The Viking with his kitten, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. I uh I mean admittedly when I first uh you know received mm-hmm. word of this movie, I was like, okay, you know, like a punk rock, rom com. <laughs> and I kinda went in with that exterior of like, you know, we'll see. I'm sure it's probably good, but whatever. And uh I think I went in knowing what to expect and then I was very wrong about what to expect. Um I don't know how I would describe this to somebody Uh, you know like punk rock rom-com totally fits yeah but like i said i came i came at it you know from an oblique angle because of that and then it you know welcomed me in in a way that i never could have expected it's just fucking great
2: well i you know again it kind of harkens back to what you mentioned prior about the energy of it being sort of a, a different energy and i feel like this film uh that's the you know that is what's unique about it. It's the energy that Emily and Kyle have put into it and like this sort of human quality, despite the sort of wacky, you know, it's, it's, it's almost its own little world. It's bubbled in its own little kind of dirty snow globe. And then there's all of uh, this stuff swirling around, but there's like a human story inside of it. So that's, you know, in the, in the sort of the depth and range that I think, you know, Kyle and Emily revealed you know of themselves and just sort of that vulnerability of like that's what I like most about Kyle like is like not only is he a great actor but he can he made himself like like in that scene in the basement when they're recording he's just so vulnerable like he's mm-hmm. so vulnerable there and like that's really moved me you know when I was cutting this that really really moved me like some seeing some of that stuff um, especially in that
1: particular scene
0: he's well, that's he tremendous wonderful yeah
1: the language that you say and like he kind of opens up at that point i find that so interesting because setting this movie in like a really aggro world where everyone's either like actually aggressive or like edgy and passive aggressive i understand how someone who at least on the outside a dickhead like simon Kind of, you know, emerges from that world where Mm -hmm. you know he doesn't quite jive with that passive aggressiveness and like leans into aggression. So in that moment when they're singing that song together and he's suddenly like soft, it was like there's that 15 year old kid who wants to start a band, and I've been that kid and I've never made the band, but I've been that kid. It's that's (laughs) that's really cool. and Uh, And I think that's key of that that bubble of a world you're speaking of.
2: I, I could argue too in that moment when, you know, maybe this is a part of the conversation that's later in our discussion, but I'm just going to say it now because in, in, I'm thinking of it. But in that moment when he, um, you know, sees her sing the mm-hmm. first time, it's, it's, it's strangely his realization that, you know, she possesses this qual like this trait, it's innate in her. And that he potentially will never be able to do something as, you know, beautiful as that. You know, I think there's an appreciation there that is uh, that is makes it very unique.
0: Mm-hmm. This is this is the kind of movie where, like, uh, it would be disingenuous to say that it has a twist of any kind. But the reveal that he genuinely loved what she had written to him in that moment—that uh, he had already, aside from, like, even before actually meeting her and and coming to know the person on the other side of those words he had already considered them to be great words that had actually moved him in some way. Um, That says so much about that character, just that whole reveal in that moment. And then the fact that he cared, he didn't just care about those words, but he recognized an actual talent behind them that the moment he realized he could utilize that talent, he was like, this is my place now. My place is no, I mean, he was a faceless front man anyway, but my place is no longer the front man. I'm the backing band to this, correct? Correct. Which is so powerful.
1: Yeah, I I, that that's
2: kind of what I was in my weird way trying to articulate. I feel like other people see it, but for for me, it was that that recognition in her that she does the thing that he wants to do better than him, and instead of shitting on her, he helps. He he, you know he utilizes it, and they make something even more uh, you know impressive together. Like, you're working together. I, yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's a great metaphor for how I want to work, you know?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Going into that sequence, too, when she first started singing, and he, like, you know, lights up to it, in my head I was torn because I was thinking, like, at that point I was still wondering whether he was trying to take advantage of her or not. And whether, and, you know, in that moment where they have that eureka moment of, oh, shit, you're good at this. And, mm-hmm. you know, it, where he sees himself as, as you know, the, the talent behind the psyops. Yeah, you know, as yeah. you said, he is now, yeah. an, you know, he has to kind of step back. And uh, yeah, that, that's, a, that's a great scene in terms of like immediately shifting my allegiance. Because I had my guard up for him and, uh, you know, and I was just thinking like, man, what is he, how is he going to break her? Mm-hmm. And then for him to not said so much and was really not at all what I would have expected from this character at the
0: outset.
2: I get that with this a lot, that people are surprised at that point, And they're not really sure where it's all going, but they're happy when they get there.
0: Yeah. I, I saw a review from um, uh, Tasha Robinson, uh, and she really liked the movie. And, and she was like, I was initially very put off, sure. uh, particularly yeah. by Kyle's character, yeah. um, and, and worried for the safety of, of the girl in his presence. Um, but what she came around to was like, by the end of the movie, they both end up totally on kind of like equal Like they end up with equal footing by the end of the movie. And that makes a lot of some of those uncomfortable moments, um, they just mean more, I think, you know? Yeah. Um,
2: and visually too, like, uh, you know, the DP, Jean-Philippe Bernier and I, we did a lot of stuff with design for, you know, whether it was like, a, like wider shots and stuff, making Patty trail behind Simon a lot. Mm-hmm. And then eventually, as things shifted between them, uh, there was a lot of shot, reverse shot. Uh, but eventually, I we start bringing them so they're parallel to each other. And, mm-hmm. and and about that point in the film, that's kind of after they've you know, there's been some they've they've gotten revenge in some certain ways. i was just gonna but,
0: say, I think I know what scene you mean. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Now they're on. Now they're on. An, you know, even even playing field here, equal yeah. playing field, and 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 so that part of the design was fun uh, to to kind of pull her out of the background to to match where he was. Like, mm-hmm. so we were very strategic. You know, I think the film has a very specific design that you either are on board with or you're not right away. It's, there's there's a repetition to it that is specific, like from the dinners to all of it, like the way that we chose to do each of those sort of, you know, I would call them, anchors you know there's four dinners the film's called Dinner in America so you've got the four dinners that you're that are kind of the anchor points you know if you will so um, and I hadn't written with a theme before so it was kind of cool to write something that had a little bit of a theme in it and uh, just experiment there.
0: Where uh, where, where did that come from because Dan and I talked about this that one of the things we love about the movie is the dinner sequences and and obviously the way they just kind of play into the title of the movie then as well, which sort of makes an ultimate reveal in those final moments too.
2: So there's a lot of Easter eggs in this film too. There's a lot of food related things throughout. There's like I mean, even in the convenience store, like the hot dogs and yes. like there's there's all you know he's e- he eats the sort of plastic meal when we first meet him in the in the Naltec <laughs> place and throws it up. But I mean there's like there's a repetition of food of like how we eat and like sort of fast food culture in America. And like, you know, uh, the, the dinners are dysfunctional. They're not a place for family discussion. That's like, you know, it's obviously a a little satire of, of, you know uh, the Midwest in some ways, but uh, you know, I feel balanced with it. I feel there's Mm -hmm. a balance and there's a, like, again, there's a bubble that this, you know, lives in where, no one's using cell phones, so they've mentioned them, you know? Like, there's
1: a lot of lot of things that are a little off about it. Yeah, I was actually... I, had I trouble was trouble placing the time period. I yeah, was going to ask cause if, I'm you... like, if there's no phones, is this like the 90s? And then someone mentions a phone, and I was like, all right. But it's great. It's kind of timeless like that. <laughs> right, right. Um, and that's
2: what I was going for. Like, a timeless quality where it doesn't matter. And frankly, I'm sick of seeing people on fucking cell phones. And design-wise, I can control it however I want, you know? And this is just the reality I wanted this story to be. And I didn't want the distraction of having Simon, you know, walking, talking on a cell phone. It didn't make sense for it.
1: I do love that his ultimate dinner uh, involves him just like ripping a steak and tossing it to his cellmate. (laughs) That was, uh, I got such a chuckle out of that. But also it was a moment where I was like, beginning of the movie, Simon would have been like, fuck you. This is my steak. Right. And I really loved that. That was mm, beautiful stuff. Can can you, you guys hear the construction going on? Do I need yeah. to move, Garrett? No, you're good, man. Okay. So, know, there's been it. no construction all day and they just fucking started at 5 p.m. <laughs> it's very weird.
2: They always they always fill, you know. Yeah. In there.
0: That's all right. I uh my I just moved to a new town and for some reason they send the emergency signal off like four times a day. Wow. So I'm, yeah. So I never know if there's actually an emergency because just four <laughs> different times every day, there's just three minutes of sirens.
1: Wow. Yeah, Garrett just moved to a uh, Silent Hill, Pennsylvania. <laughs> yeah.
0: <So. laughs> That's right. Um yeah, so I but I did love these dinner scenes. And I agree with you, they're like very balanced throughout the movie. It's like uh for a movie that has as many dinner scenes as it does, I don't feel like I'm always at dinner, you know. Um but boy are the dinner scenes funny. Every <laughs> single one of them is really funny. And in particular in their sort of um I, I mean I, this is how it caught me like they are very incisive about white america in you know uh late stage capitalism basically yes um, that's very much how those scenes read and felt to me like sort of this uh i i guess they're the boomer generation but they're almost like the gen xers that are turning into the the boomer generation as these sort of like absent parents uh at these dinners you know um something very funny about that especially i mean uh, in particular, uh, Dan and I are both big fans of Pat Healy and Marilyn Rice Cub, and they're oh very God. funny as a couple in this. Oh, yeah. And they actually look like if they were to make a baby,
1: they would look <laughs> exactly like Patty. Well, the, that I thought long really. and hard about it, guys. Perfect. Perfect. No, I really yeah. did. Perfect. <laughs> now, I think that um, uh, even, even at the beginning, too, with that hilarious uh, putting the moves on, well, getting the moves put on him by Leah Thompson scene, <laughs> Yeah it's so funny. I love the idea that everybody is so aggressively trying to appear functional and that is ultimately like the source of their dysfunction. Yeah. And you know, and as I get older and like watch my parents age and think back on my childhood with a more critical eye, I'm like, how much misery did we undergo under the auspices of being normal? It's it's really wild. True. Yes.
2: I I, and I have a lot I think about these kinds of things now. I have three boys, seven, six, and four. It's 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 just absolutely batshit nuts. You
1: know? <laughs> do you guys uh, make a habit of sitting down for dinner? Is that something that the Dinner, dinner in America family does? Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely.
2: Yeah. yeah. 100% we sit down for dinner. Yes. Right on. <laughs> I, I'm actually the one that gets like, when the kid, like sometimes uh, my oldest, especially, gets up and he just wanders off. I'm like, where the hell do you think you're going? Where are you going? <laughs> what, what, what's, what's down that way? Yeah. Like, oh, I was going to go down to the basement. It's like, you're not going to. You're gonna sit here and finish dinner with us. I'm like, oh my god, I sound like Norman Connie. Yeah. yeah. Fuck. <laughs> I sound like Norman I mean. Connie. I'm like, oh
0: shit. Yeah. Uh Adam, are you from the world of punk rock? That was the other thing that I wanted to ask.
2: Well, no, not I mean, here here's the deal. Like, uh I'm a big I'm an I'm a big avid home recorder. I've been doing I've been recording for I guess since I was 15, so uh, some some time now, almost 30 years has passed of of recording four tracking, 24 tracking. You know, um, awesome. I'm just I'm super into it, and I always have been. And, and it, actually, the the song that uh, the song that uh, Simon and Patty do in the basement, I wrote that with Emily. So we oh, dude, cool. We recorded that together and uh, Emily wrote the lyrics uh, in character as Patty. She brought them with her to the shoot. And uh, oh. so we had like a, a two week rehearsal period. And so the first day that um, Emily and Kyle arrived, like they, they flew in, we had dinner. And then the next day we went to a recording studio here in Detroit and we ended up recording um, all of the punk music the first day um, with, with a couple sessions that we left because Kyle kind of shot his voice out and then we came back like a week later and finished those but on the second day Emily and I did um the song that you hear in the basement and we we wrote it in probably a half hour or so and
1: then dude the (laughs) the melody of those lyrics is so catchy I have yum yum dum dum set in my head all the time yeah it's fantastic
0: okay first of all that's also a joke in the movie that she says I can't believe that took a half hour and it was yeah. one of the things that made me laugh out loud uh, because it's like both funny about the creative process where sometimes it really is lightning in a bottle like that and you really yeah. can just, yes. and then flip side is like a lot of times garage rock really is like such simple shit that you can, you know, you could fart out a whole album in an afternoon if you wanted to, you know. Uh, yeah. So I love hearing that it actually took you a half hour to write this song. Yeah, it actually took about
2: a half hour and then we, I did like a little acoustic demo of it that I took home with me and then... Um the next day we came back and we did it for real. And yeah. so I went in and I think I did it in the exact order that Simon does. I did it in I did it drums first and I did all of that and then I did um uh guitar and then bass. I think yeah. no, I the opposite way I did bass and then guitar. So we you know, whatever. But but she laid down two takes. the second one is the one that you hear.
1: So that's amazing. Right on. That's genuine yeah, the music, music incredible. all around is is still good. I know you got like the Disco Assault guys in there, yes. Um, yes. which is great. Yeah. Uh, but the score itself, um, oh yeah. man, I had his name written down. I thought oh, uh, the score oh, itself is so good. And that goes a long way, almost right off the bat of like giving me the world of the movie. Because yeah. like I said, I went into it being like, oh, this could be like twee. And then yeah. as soon as that, that, that music hits, I was like, okay, this is going to be, you know, on a different, darker level. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that music is really good. What, what was the name, Garrett? Uh, John Swihart is the composer. So that's it. Um, I know he did Napoleon Dynamite, he did. which means yeah. that he is good at working in weird worlds.
2: Yes, yes. And, um, you know, I think early on in the process, originally I had um, thought about doing kind of acoustic drums with this film and doing like maybe, and maybe having like a session drummer come in and lay down some kind of tricky, sticky like beats for it and like, you know, just doing this mostly like 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 utilizing a trap set and not doing a traditional score at all. Like mm-hmm. using a trap set and just like playing, uh, having a score that was all, you know, rhythmical and, and stuff like that. And then John, I think pushed me away from that idea and started saying like, well, what if it was more like dirty drum machines and kind of this EDM thing? And it was like, you know, big distorted kick drums and like, you know, weird, um, like cowbells and things and places. And, and I was, I was open to it and then he started sending me stuff. And I had, at that point I was past the rough cut of the film and I really needed to compress the front end of the film because what was happening in my original past. And, you know, I'd say with any indie film, the, the problem, the problem with the film is always the first act problem, no matter what it is, no matter who it really, almost all films it always comes down to first act problems, you know, with them. And, um, I needed to get Patty and Simon together quicker. There's actually a whole other day that Simon's doing stuff. And I actually scrapped all of it. Um, There's maybe from my rough pass, my rough, my first pass of the film was two hours and 19 minutes. And it's an hour and 46 right now. So Mm -hmm. big hefty, like, you know, I don't know what that is. 30 some minutes cut out. Um, But Swihart had sort of gotten me to think about the film a little differently. And it worked out because I liked the contrast of this sort of punk look, but with more of like this, uh, you know, electronic back, you know, this, this soundtrack for it. And and, and it, it, it was a nice contrast to the punk vibe and stuff. And it, it, like the worst thing you could do with a film like this is just give it wall to wall punk music or something. It would just be completely silly and it wouldn't work at all so
0: yeah it'd be overkill well and I, yeah go ahead I like the idea that there is punk rock in the world of the movie but the movie's world is scored by this other music that I think helps the tone of the movie totally. and its world more you know
2: totally. um, one thing that we did too was like remove melody from it so it wasn't holding your hand and like saying you need to feel this in this scene. Now you need to feel this. So it, it becomes a rhythmical thing instead of it. So you it's just like swirling, undulating kind of thing that's always propelling you to the next scene. And like it's like or it or it tees you up. It like it like ramps up and tees you up and then drops out. You know. So we were able to. I think there's like sixty eight or sixty nine cues in the film that John wrote. So it's wall to wall, but it doesn't ever feel like it's. It's, you know how score sometimes can just take you out or it it never, it's, sometimes I bring it down in the mix like low, so it's barely there. And it's just, it's, it's rhythmical, but it's balanced and it doesn't ever feel like it's overriding things, except when it obviously needs to like electrically override things. Like when he's upset, it's very much like, it's very emotional, like it's very responsive to Simon on screen.
1: I think by eliminating melody too, that's like, that's smart because the way he acts when he has big emotional moments, he's like borderline deranged. And if that ended up having like a a sing-songy backdrop, I don't know, it just would be incongruent and it would feel sloppy and messy. And instead, like, even when he has like a deranged deranged moment, you know, his unpredictability jives with the unpredictability of the sound. And I don't know really what I'm trying to say. He's just it's a really good way of making him seem, you know, both controlled and scary at once. Um, I can see why Patty would be into this guy. yeah. And I, and I think that the way that, that the music kind of counteracts his emotion like that uh, makes him a little more welcoming than he would be on the surface. Well,
2: she, he's kind of a fantasy. I mean, she's literally in the back of an alleyway with shit on her smock, <laughs> eating, eating lunch, uh, you know, drinking a, a, a juice, an apple juice box. So, yeah. you know, like, simon's just pure fantasy um what the hell did i want to say about that score though i did want to say something i sidetracked myself go ahead
0: sorry well, you, you know it reminded me of i was i was trying to show it to dan earlier uh, there's this group tobacco i don't know if you ever heard of them I, th- I think it's actually like a side project of um black rainbow super moth or whatever they're okay. called yeah tobacco is awesome totally recommend checking it out the score reminded me of it a lot Okay. Enough so that, uh, for one thing, please put it on vinyl. I will buy the shit out of this score. I I legitimately would love to listen to this. Uh, I can honestly. say, I,
2: I'll, I'll give you a uh, promise that it's going to happen.
0: Okay, yes. awesome. That's right great. On. Because uh, if well, you're
2: going to do the soundtrack, why why the fuck wouldn't you do a record? Like, yes, yeah, please. Oh, yeah. like this, you know?
0: So, yes. Well, you've already sold a copy because okay, I loved it. We're um, looking
2: for high
1: numbers, so, you know, it's, like, it's like, <laughs> like, oh,
2: we're already selling one and we haven't even done anything. Yeah. Like, <laughs>
1: double that number we're making it two because i'm in <laughs> oh,
2: okay we already sold two yeah. you know,
1: i know what i want to say i know what i want to tell you i was gonna say yeah, yeah. i
2: drew a lot of inspiration from me myself and irene when jim carrey switches yeah the, the drums kick in yeah yeah like that kind of thing uh that was something that i had talked with with Swyhart. i mean it's, i know it's a totally different kind of film but it does something that i like which is it it lets you feel like when that character is deranged and that character is moving towards, you know, moving towards camera, uh, it's, it, it has a lot of energy. Every time that that happens in that film, it makes me laugh.
1: I think it's similar to me, myself, and Irene because, uh, like, growing up, I had quite the temper. And <laughs> when your temper gets set off like that, it right. is very, that's a very good representation of it to yeah. have the drums kick in and you're just, the logic and be damned. I'm going to be mad no matter what. And, uh, you know, you see it played for comedy and me, myself, and Irene. But, yeah, exactly what I'm saying with uh, with Simon is as soon as that kicks in, as soon as he's like that, it's like, oh, shit. I don't know what's coming next, but I, right. I'm going to hold on to some, something and, and wait for it.
2: So I'm guessing you like the montage when they collect the goods to go on their revenge thing. That's one of my favorite oh, yeah. parts of the film. Uh, and, then, you know, JP and I had designed that, and that's one of those moments that was just executed exactly like we thought of it and we are we're all even to the even to the door there's a mount on the door and my, one of my favorite parts is when he opens the door and the camera goes with him you know mm-hmm. it's like yes. that was jp he always wanted to mount on a door and just have somebody open the door like that and it, <laughs> it worked for this film to do it
1: that's an example of what you were saying earlier garrett it's very kinetic yeah um yes. Yes. It's so easy to let a cool movie just become bland in the edit. Yeah. And I love when when a filmmaker, you know, adds these bells and whistles, but, you know, works to make sure that the movie isn't just visual bells and whistles. And so this hits that really good medium level where there's flair, there's pop, there's bounce. And at no point am I like ah, you know, you know it doesn't it doesn't override well, everything.
2: I had a healthy I had a healthy edit period too, and I cut the film myself. So it was like you know having that time uh, where it was a no pressure situation. We had already missed like the festival deadline for everything because we shot late in the year. We shot at the end of like August and early September of 2018. So we were already kind of out of. So they were like you know take your time. And, um, you know, having having time uh, gave me the ability to really see this film and to really, like, figure out what I wanted to do with it. Because it, it is very much, you know, I'm going to quote the Truffaut, there's the film that you shoot, the, or sorry, the film that you write, the film that you shoot, and the film that you edit, and they're all different films. I mean, it and that it really is the case with, you know, in script form, you know, by the time you cast, it's already morphing into this other thing from the initial thing that you have in your head it's never going to be that thing and then it as you as you crew up and as you cast the film it it morphs into what it wants to be the energies that you're bringing in and then you you know I'm a big big believer in the day and and you know executing on the day but that's locked at that point what you've done is that's that's happened and it's it's never going to happen again unless you're unless you have to do reshoots or something but with a film like this, it just isn't possible. And, and even, even if it were, the energy would never, you, you don't ever get that back. You know, it's, it, you can always feel it. So, you know, and then sitting there with it for months, cutting it, you know, and just figuring out what it, what it needed to be as far as, you know, rhythm and pace and energy and, and everything. I mean, it's just, that part's the part that um, where you go mad. You
1: know, it really, <laughs> I uh, I'm a writer, and that's like I I tend to word vomit, and then I create the edit. Yeah, and that is like I I've never loved and hated something simultaneously so much as an edit, and yeah. it sucks because you end up killing something beautiful, yeah. but yeah. it makes this yeah. amazing thing. And so I ask, is there anything that was either in your initial initial like writing edit or in your final edit that like you just would have loved to have there, but it had to go? Um there is a
2: scene where he, so they're on the Simon on the Simon like destructo day that we don't even see in the film uh there's an incredible dance sequence where we had where it's to the the track Daddy Cool and and we did this we did this amazing you know kind of dance scene where we had um the doggy cam stuff where it's hooked up to the actors so and it's like they're all doing it's like Simon and two of his friends and they 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 do this whole it, they're it's it was it was really crazy they did a, did a whole like dance with the thing and Simon ends up throwing up at the end of it and 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 he loses the money that he had from Nowtech. and so just as far as editorial goes it when i got in there and i had to compress the front end it didn't matter any longer if he didn't have the money, like if he lost the money and the big thing was, uh, so, so here's like a little funny story. So when it cuts to him, right when he sees the cops, like early on in the first act, like right when he's about to meet Patty, um, you see him kind of looking down Well, he was like retracing his steps there and like looking around, but it never, like the way I have cut it, it doesn't play it. So what if he looks down, but if, prior to that scene, I had him walking there in this wide shot and he was like looking for the the money that he lost. It just didn't seem like we needed it. Like it didn't matter if he had lost his money or just didn't have the amount. Like,
0: well, and I filled in those blanks on my own. You made a good enough movie that like got across who Simon was enough that I filled in those blanks. He bought more pills (laughs) or whatever, you know, like he did something that he didn't need to do. And that money disappeared in that, transaction
2: and, and that and that um yeah exactly and as a writer at the writer side you think you need to connect all of these right. things well the audience is much smarter and the audience can compress and they, the audience doesn't care about those things that you think are really important as a writer like you know I've got a it was like hand-holding like I have to show you that he lost uh-huh. and you know I mean I just chalk it up to like you you better yourself as a writer each time I, I think I look back on this script and I easily could have cut 10 or 15 pages out of it if I wanted to I should have you know but uh yeah. but I luckily I had producers that allowed me to shoot everything and make those choices in post production mm-hmm. which I also like want to support and think is super important and you know there was a lot of stuff that I cut out that like there's an exchange with Patty and her brother when when she comes in and he's watching he's watching this weird French Canadian uh, thing that the DP had shot and we had the people that had the rights to it had given us. And he's watching this weird Canadian show and like, they come in and have this really funny exchange. Like it's after the boys on the bus, uh, like the first, Oh, actually that's cut too. That like, uh, well, so there's, there's several times on the bus with Patty and and there's extra stuff there that's cut. So it, it was after the, I think the boys call her a cum catcher. You know? uh-huh. So at the end of the scene, at the end of the scene with her brother, he says, "Can you go get me a pop?" And she's like, "Get it yourself, cum catcher." So she like she repeated that yeah. what the bullies had said to yeah. her, and she like tossed it back at, at Kevin, and then it went into Pat, like coughing at the dinner table. Yes. So, that was, yeah.
0: so funny. But
2: see the way I played it out, it was great because it ended on that dead cat, and then her reaction and then Pat's coughing, like she ducks down and then Pat's coughing and you think for a second, almost like half the people think usually that she put that cat in the in the dinner or something, because we don't know. Mm-hmm. Her, so. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, oh, did, oh that's funny. A bit of that cat in yeah. you know?
1: I actually wanted to to go back and just ask you about a term that you used and I'm not sure if I misheard it. When you were talking about the dance scene, it yeah. sounded like you said doggy cam. Yeah. Okay, and I think I have a notion of what that is, and in my head I'm picturing a Darren Aronofsky freak out moment. Correct. Is that correct. what I'm thinking you're, of?
2: You're, you're thinking of like Marlon Wayans when he's running and when they're Jared Leto they're running. <laughs> yeah, like yes.
1: Yes. This correct. kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And so yeah.
2: we've got Kyle and we've got two other actors and they're not where we're sharing it, but you're seeing the other ones in the background and they're they're dancing and it was real you know, it was real kinetic and fun with it. Yeah. So uh, it just that that was a that was something that we had tried and experimented with and, and in the end it was an expensive day but in the end like compression wise we just it it didn't work it didn't work so uh, but that, that I just that, never that,
1: heard that term before uh, and yeah. that's that's just that's a really good term for it yeah
2: uh, uh, but that said I mean I'm not opposed to using those things for promotional you know purposes sure. so let's just say that we might see some microbursts of Simon's life or Patty's life that never existed in the film and that's okay nice. I would be yeah that's cool that you it. were
1: given the opportunity to, to kind of shoot as
0: much as he could yeah yeah no, that's that's really awesome what uh, Adam if you don't mind me asking what was the like schedule for this how long did you guys shoot
2: we had 25 days so wow okay beefy and nice I mean for, for a smaller film for, you for know, an indie uh,
0: film yeah for sure
2: yeah, well, we had fought for that. See, also, too, this film's a little bit uh, different than a lot of, you know, films that fit in that model in that we didn't really have a stable location. Like, no. outside of the house, everything is, like, Simon constantly moving, you know, mm-hmm. like, through space and time. So it's, you know, and we're we're just encountering people along the way. Uh, yeah. So that part of it, you know, we were never... The, the house was the most stable we ever... W- like we're in the film and that was a week. We were at the house for a week. So everything else is sort of satellited out of that, you know?
0: Um, we're all of, this is gonna sound like a weird question. Um, were all of the dinner scenes shot in the same suburban house just rearranged or did you have different locations no. for each of them? No,
2: there were, yeah, there were three different houses for okay. those. There was, yeah, there was the, the first house where Leah uh, and Hannah Marks are in that house. That was, uh, but coincidentally enough, the house where Patty lives and that house were extremely close to each other. Like not like, maybe you could throw a football to it. You know, maybe Uh if you were, you know, John Grice and Napoleon Dynamite, you could maybe (laughs) Um, get over the mountains out there. (laughs) But, uh, but the other one was really far away. That was in an Indian village that was down um, in the Indian village part of Detroit. So it was, it was, you know, really far away and that was simon's house and it was you know a big the house that we see them standing outside of so big big house
0: yeah well because one of the things that i thought uh to me was like a very funny joke in the movie was just that like all of these houses do look the same like no matter which suburban location he's in yeah it's yeah. the same tacky decor right. the same amount of space the same arrangement of rooms The sa- yeah. you know um, which is very funny to me, ultimately, when the movie is kind of about, like, just, uh, you know, how broken these suburban, th- this yeah. suburban society kind of has become, you know? Yeah.
1: Um, <laughs> cre- Creative choice question. How yeah. did you land upon representing stoned people as having no pants on? <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: Wait, what was the question? How did I?
1: <laughs> yeah, how did you land upon that as a choice? Like, just to represent someone as stoned is why you were <laughs> The, so why don't we, we have
2: on <laughs> well obviously there's there's comedy and threes always. Yeah. Yes. so yeah so you know it starts with not to give too many spoilers away. So if it's just, you know if it's spoilers you don't want to hear, cover your cover your ears yeah. for just a second. But it starts with Kevin, you know, at, at the, at the <laughs> refrigerator, Patty is wearing wearing pants. And then obviously the little girl that pokes her head around the corner <laughs> yeah. and she tells Simon she's not wearing pants <laughs> yeah. and then you the whole gag with the parents. And it's that third one where it really lands. And now, so, you know, it's just, that's just a classic kind of setup. You know, there's yeah. that framework for setting up the joke and then like letting it breathe there.
1: It's yeah. such a goofy choice. Actually, Garrett and I both came out of the world of comedy. We're stand-up comics, oh. yeah. And so the rule of threes is—I mean, yeah. that is pretty yeah. unshakable. My favorite. Yeah. Thing but to I didn't do even is... think about that in terms of a rhythm. I was yeah. just laughing because um, I was a little stoned, and <laughs> so I was like, "Oh, this is wild!" And oh, I've pet there's pets. It's an amazing. Thing. <laughs> yeah. It was just. It like, was beautiful. Where's my fucking pants? Yeah. pants? <laughs> do you feel a draft?
0: Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I was also a big fan of uh, Pat Healy's performance in that scene in particular where he just, all he can say is, uh, what does he just keep saying? He just keeps saying, oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah it's just a very, yeah.
2: I can't, okay, so here, I'm going to let you, I don't think I've said this anywhere, but I so the moment that absolutely broke me in the process of making this film, <laughs> like where you get the giggles and you can't control it, there was only one time that I got broken in this film. And it wasn't even looking at Pat. It was when we did, we we were rehearsing the the part where he says that, oh yeah, the first time, <laughs> I, had no, I had no idea what he was going to do. And I was actually behind him and Mary Lynn as we were rehearsing it. And uh, so I would have been like in the frame. Like I was just, I was standing there and listening. They were just kind of doing a rehearsal. and that first time he said oh yeah and it was it was just so vacant and so <laughs> void of anything it, he had like pat had completely disappeared and yeah. was just uh, just a shell yeah that first time i mean it was like barely perceptible yeah. but yeah. you can still hear it and i just fucking lost it because that that is the craft, guys. That is the craft right there. 100%. He's, he's
1: funny in a way that I can't really compare to anyone else. Yeah. it's well, The closest approximation I can think of is he like kind of makes me laugh the way Michael Keaton makes me laugh. But it's I, indescribable.
2: I, I was reading this article with him. I, I don't remember who did it. It was recent. He had posted it. And it was like this spotlight on a bunch of his films and stuff like that. And he was talking about... I think it was in Chicago. He was shooting some something on like one of his first big films. And I think he was playing an FBI agent. And he said that it was so cold outside, his fucking ears turned purple. And so he had these makeup people like touching up his ears because they were purple. And I just, I, I fucking was reading this. And I fucking broke down. I swear to God, it's not the pandemic. It was the funniest thing I had read just thinking about Pat and his fucking purple ears, and some makeup artist touching up his ears so they could finish the scene,
1: (laughs) it's just- I can't imagine a more nightmarish circumstance than having cold ears and purple somebody ears. trying to apply like ear foundation to your ears. He's that so sounds pale. like a tactical nightmare. Oh my he's so God. Pale that it
2: was, it's, he's so pale that it was his purple ears that were throwing <laughs> off. You know, you imagine some cinematographer just like looking at him going, his fucking ears are purple. Yeah. <laughs> of those fucking purple ears, you know, like, I don't know. That if just they-
1: sounds like a nightmare experience. Like I had somebody putting makeup on my frigid ears is that like makes my toes curl yeah i can't even think about that that's so gross
2: but the fact that he chose to tell that
1: story too yeah just, oh yeah that's a oh, great story I, that's I, something that i bet is theory, probably yeah. more common than you'd think you know like i know a lot of sets have issues with temperature because you're just on the clock and it gets dark or whatever but i never thought about that and i bet <laughs> that's more common than i'd ever think about is pur- purple ears purple ears i mean you he- can light these ears
2: he's a guy you write for that. You just, you, he, you, you know that he's going to deliver on whatever it is. And you like, now that I know him, it's like, I know how to utilize him. And what I, this was actually, he was like, he was kind of like, uh, when we were talking at Sundance too, he was just kind of, it was, it was different because he's normally like, he plays such a wide range of characters. It was like, to be like, Super conservative and normal was like almost as strange of an experience for him as some of those other things. But he found it kind of refreshing that it wasn't like, you know, I mean, I've seen him in a lot of intense.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's, com- like, he's compliance. He's the voice of compliance. compliance? Right. Like yeah. Donnie Do Brook? Have you seen him? Donnie Brook? I've Brooke? not seen oh, Donnie Brook. I saw Donnie Brook at last year's uh, Philadelphia Film Festival. <laughs> uh, what's his name? Uh, oh, no. Now I can't think of his name. Frank uh, Frank Grillo, yeah, yeah, oh. Frank Grillo uh, and, and Jamie Bell that he's with? Jamie
2: Bell and Margaret Qualley. It's it, it's it's they got it's, a
1: wicked throwdown in that movie.
2: Oh, it's great, and and but but Pat scene is insane. That's an insane yeah. scene. I mean, that's kind of like you know a lot of times Pat gets these these roles like that, and that's I mean he can he pulls those off. It's it's amazing. But this Norm playing <laughs> playing Norm in this film was was you know just something just that he fit and it was a lot of fun to work with him and mary lynn because they can just riff and they have a you know they have a they had worked together in the past and stuff so they had like a rapport and and it just it it was it was really really fun to work with both of them
0: there was a very nice natural chemistry between them um yeah. that like the other families for the other dinners um you know, I would say lack, but that also seems intentional to those scenes. You know, but exactly. like yeah. you can really feel the natural chemistry between them in the in their dinner scenes. It's it's very funny to watch. She's another person who's kind of funny in a
1: way that I can't describe. Like yeah, I can't figure out what it is that makes her funny. But I mean, I've been watching her since Mister Show, so it's like <laughs> right. yeah. Yeah. she's consistently yeah. funny. Yeah. She is, I'm she's, in a gang of one.
2: She's <laughs> so you know she's so creative. Like like these are actors that are not only going to deliver exactly what's scripted, they're going to like give you a few curveballs, give you a few fun, like things that you can utilize if you want to. I think, I think, let me think of one that's in the film. I, she, she said, she says something, and it's just a rhythm thing that makes it so great, but she says something about the taco salad. Does everybody like their taco salad? And, <laughs> and, 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 and you she says, yeah, just pat with that. Like, uh, uh she says, um, uh, No, you're going to sit here Uh, I got us a chocolate cake and Pat's like oh it's just just great I just love those kinds of like just you know they when they play a character they really they give you everything and it's 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 great it's one they're wonderful to work with
1: that's such a great touch to 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 parents on the threat of removing dessert from their future that is (laughs) that is just beautiful yeah. You're like oh, fine, but no, just no chocolate pudding for you. Yeah, no chocolate pudding, Kev. You know. Uh, God yeah. damn it, Mom! That's the trump card. I want, yeah. I want the pudding. I'll finish the the, the uh, lima beans.
0: Well, and I'd be remiss if we didn't give like just a couple more minutes to Kyle Gallner and Emily Skeggs. Skaggs. Uh, right. Yeah, I want to yeah. know how
1: you found her because she was
0: unreal. She's <laughs> incredible in this. I mean, they both are, but I mean, they both really. I mean, Gallner, I know from. Uh, you know he had done some stuff when he was really young but then my big thing with him is i love red state i i I know not everybody's on that train but i love red state and he's really good in that movie uh and i thought he's good in
1: the uh the nightmare remake which everyone has like mixed thoughts about but Mm. he's he's he plays sleep deprived real well
2: (laughs) (laughs) yeah i i mean kyle and emily are a dream come true i have nothing but you know great things to say about both of them. And, and, you know, in fact, in this process, we have become family 100%, you know, I mean, our, our thread uh, barely a day or two goes by where we're not in, you know, back and forth stuff. But, uh, you know, I just, I love them so much, uh, not only as, as actors, but as, as human beings. And, and, uh, you know, uh, I, Emily, Emily came to me through, I think her agent back channeled to Ross, one of the producers, and then, um, I got a tape from her, and let me tell you, the tape. She had the glasses that she wears in the movie, like yeah. that. She she went to Walgreens and she bought those specs, and she she was dressed right and everything. And and, and by the way, her audition tape looked amazing. Like it yeah. was shot really well, and it was well lit, and it was simple. But I think her roommate's a DP, so she was able she like just sent a fantastic tape and I, I spoke with her. We had had several configurations of this film. The film fell apart like twice. So mm-hmm. um, this was, I think I had cast the film. It had fallen apart. Emily, I got the tape from Emily. We had, we had met uh, like, you know, virtually like this and, and then we just started sending each other music. And it just, we just connected right away. It was just everything in her voice. It was everything about where she was at and her own backstory. She felt very connected to Patty. She, mm. So, you know, she expressed that early on that this is like me. This is like me when I was, you know, a bit younger and awkward. And and so that really resonated with her. And, um, you know, we didn't talk song or any of that type of thing, but. You know, she had um, she had done some work on Broadway. She was in a play called Mm. Fun Home, and I believe nominated for a Tony. So she can sing. I mean, she can do whatever you might need, like you know, song wise, but for for Patty, it was more about making her really small, like specific, like a bird, you know, looks like pulling
1: Mm -hmm.
2: pulling everything back and making it like a really pure emission. And um Yeah, would you
0: Yeah, sorry. I'm just curious. Like, as that character was on the page versus what you get out of that audition tape, like, was she nailing something that you were looking for, or was she bringing you something that you didn't even know you were looking for? Do you know what I mean?
2: For me, like, I could have cast Kyle, um, and I kind of did in a way with his Facebook photo. Like, (laughs) honestly, and I mean that because a good photographer, or a good photograph, or a combination of just a moment captured in time let you see everything you need to know, mm-hmm. and and if you look at Kyle's Facebook profile picture right now, if you were to go on and look at it, you would see the picture. It's a black and white image. Uh oh, we got we got some action over here. We got action. Go ahead and take a pause if you need to look at it. No, uh, <laughs> but if you look at his Facebook profile picture,
0: I know exactly the vulnerability.
2: What the vulnerability in his eyes in this particular black and white photo is exactly what I was looking for in Simon. And I could cast that without ever, you know, uttering a sound or hearing anything. I could cast it on that look because if, you know, if you can, if it just had the right energy and I knew it. So he was on my list, my original list of five actors to go after. And I had gotten him the script. uh, This is like three years prior to us shooting the film. I had a couple of the producers uh, did another film, where Kyle got pretty far in their audition process, and, but he wasn't right for the film. And, but they had his email, so they sent the script to him and he was on a TV show at the time and he did not read it, it just he just sat like on it. And we didn't hear back, we moved on. I, there was a couple configurations of the film and uh, my DP, like three years later, was shooting a film with Kyle in Romania <laughs> and they're on set, and he's like, oh, this film that I was going to shoot in Detroit fell apart, you know, um, you should fucking read it, man. You're, like, so ripe for this film. You should, like, read it. And he's like, what's the name of it? And I'm like, Dinner in America. And um, he's like, I think I have that script. I think, I, I think somebody sent it to me once. And he went back in his email and fucking read it, this script, from three years wow. prior. And, like, read it that night, had his agent's work shit out and we were skyping the next day you know and I was just like motherfucker. Man, that's really amazing
0: regret, you never know when right? that seed that you're planting yeah. gonna come no, to fruition.
2: No. that's Which, amazing.
0: this is a dumb detail that my brain gets interested in but so was your DP already your DP and he's going to Kyle knowing that you had already tried to go to cut Ky- like is this no. some? no he no, just he is talking not. to Kyle is just like you I. You seem like a guy that would be right for this other script that I've read
2: yeah and, and originally I, I was looking at another DP and uh she got booked on a job, and it, it there was a conflict. And so her agent had suggested this other she had just taken this new client and 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 my dP and had would been like, well, what about him instead?" And I wow. really liked his work. I liked his work on Turbo Kid and summer of eighty four. So oh,
0: it's that oh, we had yeah. the uh, we had the writers had of the summer eighty four on the podcast just a couple months ago. Cool. Um, that's a great movie. And uh, that I, now I can like recognize that work too. That totally right, makes right. sense.
2: Yeah. yeah. And, and so I had, I had, I had liked what he, so I got to talking with JP. Then we, I think the first configuration was going to happen or the second and it fell apart. And then JP went off. He was like, well, I'm going to Romania and I'm going to do this film over there. And I think, I don't, I don't think I even knew that he was working with Kyle, but he had like, he had, Kind of, I think they went to like a Dead Kennedy show or something together. Like, <laughs> no way. And he's like, yeah, you know, you should really read this uh, Dinner in America. And um, I think you'd be great for it. And so just weird how it like, you know, came back around to, to me and Kyle. But yeah, I, I let him have it. You know, that first conversation, I was like, motherfucker, you did not read this script for three years, you know? So I never let it down with him on that. But uh, I'll but, tell you what, though. Oh, that's so funny. I love him like a brother, though. that's. I thing. bet
0: it took all three of those years for him to get his voice to sound like a cigarette. Yeah, right. So you probably <laughs> needed that time.
2: I will tell you what happened. Um, <laughs> you know, it was a combination of... So about oh, two weeks before he came out to Detroit to shoot the film. He called me and he was like, oh, I, I think I heard my voice. You know, I'm trying to scream in the car. I'm like, why are you trying to fucking scream in your car? He's like, I'm rehearsing. I'm trying to like get ready. You know, I'm just like screaming over the top of music in the car. I'm like, that is the worst fucking way to do it ever because what you need a microphone. You need, it needs to be amplified. Otherwise it's just, you're just, you are screaming at the top of your lungs. You don't have to do that, dude. Like don't ruin your voice. So he he came, his voice was shot and we started the, like I told you before when we, when he arrived the second day we were there, he was in the recording studio and (laughs) we went until his voice broke because it hadn't repaired and he broke his voice there. We had to come back a week later. We did the last of it. He broke it. Like his voice was like on the edge and then these fucking herbal cigarettes because he doesn't smoke. So we had these herbal cigarette things. He's smoking these fucking things and his voice just starts getting lower and lower to the point like when we actually shot the first scene with Patty, it was like way down. And I mean, there are so many fucking cigarettes in this. I I cut, I cut like, I would say I cut a fourth of the scenes with cigarettes, but (laughs) it's like the whole movie he's smoking in every situation
1: you know oh yeah anytime there's a down moment he pops one out yeah Yeah. there were multiple uh, times
0: that he like got rid of a cigarette only to just take another cigarette out like you know as soon as he turns a corner right
2: yeah no i mean it's it's and i felt bad for him while we were shooting it like i really did
0: it's amazing for the character not that that is uh i don't know a great excuse to ruin his body like that but like it really is amazing for the character It, it it helps
1: When I was watching the movie, my girlfriend is an actress. And she leans over and she's like, who is that girl? And I said, oh, her name's Emily Skeggs. And then she like kind of rolled her eyes. And I was like, do you have beef with this actress? I don't know. And apparently my girlfriend went out for fun home and did not get the role that Emily ended up getting. <laughs> and she was like, yeah, she got Fun Home, and I didn't get it. And I was like, oh, well, well, I guess you <laughs> should she her then. But she's real fantastic in this. wow, <laughs> <Yeah.
0: laughs> She is tremendous in this movie. She really is. Yeah. And dude, just to circle back on that song at the end that apparently you helped make with, like, I, I'm not kidding. That song is a, a great earworm. Uh, it, I said to Dan, like, one of the ways I described this movie, I was like, this movie is like if Scott Pilgrim was actually cool, like counterculture okay. cool. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and yeah. that song is straight up just a better version of all of the music from the movie Scott Pill. It is so good. Like, I just need to pay you the highest compliments. That is a, an actual, like, great catchy earworm.
2: Well, like I said, we made it in about 25 minutes. Yeah. Um, but, you know, but but I say that, I say that, but, you know, those are the types of songs that I typically – do because I do them really fast like that without thinking too much about it. Yep. And now I had this great you know partner to work with um, because Emily sings way better than I do. And it, <laughs> it just made it, it made it, and well, of course, in the context of the film, you know, knowing what we needed to do, this gave us that emotional reference point that we could go back and just work our way towards the whole film. We yep. already knew what the satisfying part, like this is before we even started, so there's no guesswork now. Right. We know what we know what we're working towards, and that was a really great way for her and I. Was, you know, looking at this as far as the music goes, this was how we bonded. This is how we developed that you know relationship because you don't have a lot of time on a you know a lot of you're meeting actors a lot of them on the day you know like I'm meeting Pat Healy like a day before we shoot with Pat you know and stuff like that. Um, but Emily and Kyle, I had a nice cozy two weeks, and you know, we're recording music on the second and third day of the film or the pre-production. You know, it it really gives you like, and music is such a unifier, and you're just gonna bond right away anyway. Like, but I I just instead of trying to do, you know, the song in an off hour or on the weekend before, this gave us like enough space to live in it. And I don't think we did the punk show until the third week and we didn't do the uh, the basement song, that was at the end of the second week. And I'm really glad that we did it at the end of the second week. Hell, if I if I knew what it was going to mean to the crew, um, I probably would have pulled it up and put it at the head of the, first, the second week. Because when we did that in the basement, that crew felt it. They felt it, and then they knew what the film was going to be, mm. and they could see it very easily from that point on. And honestly, we became like a really just a family that worked together and like everything was really smooth after the song you know that's the truth
0: that makes sense to me too because i um this was just a thought i was having about like a different movie earlier this week but like some some movies don't uh you know when when people do improv they talk about the game that they're playing that like improv works best when the audience understands the game that the people are playing as they improvise (laughs) i feel like i see a lot of movies um especially smaller movies don't let me in on their game soon enough. And that's how they lose me. And yeah. it, it's very clear that because you had the song and the song was there and you knew, again, that that's your goal, that's where you're building. Even if I don't know that as the audience, that that's what the game is, because you guys know the movie's right. imbued with the feeling of the game. You know? So even though I don't know the game, I can feel it. I can, I can no, trust but, that yeah. that's coming, You know, that the payoff is there
2: that's a great analysis of how that works. But yes, and as the editor, it's my job to, to, that's why I'm telling you that, you know, that compression of the first act and all the ripple effect that you have when it's not, when everything's not serving your film the right way. This for me is an, you know, editing should be an exercise in how to serve your film the correct way, you know? And I mean, not that I want to edit everything I do, but I have that you know mindset when I go in because I am an editor I can I can sense it and feel it you know relatively intuitively without having to watch playback without I just know that it's there um the same goes when you're in that process of whittling everything down it's just you're you're serving that story for that moment you're serving that story for that ending you know it's really it's all compression and it's it's really all just you know You know, fine tuning and frame fucking until you're there. Like you have, you know, it's, 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 it's microscopic, like the, even like two frames or whatever it's, it lags. It doesn't, you know, they all connect. It's just a fucking huge ripple effect. You know, if you don't, um, if you don't manage it, you know, and be the master of it.
0: I have edited five minute short films before just that Dan and I have made and uh, just five minute movies are like a nightmare to edit in the specific sense that you're talking where it's just like every little choice you make as you're describing is a ripple forwards and backwards on everything you've already done and everything you will do.
2: Yeah. I mean, that's, it is the, it's probably the, you know, that's where you're most precious. You're talking about being a writer. Like that's where you're most precious with things that you don't want to lose. But you have to realize that that final film—it's not—it's you're not taking it from the script anymore because the rhythm and the energy is completely gone from that. The way that the way that you envisioned it on paper no longer exists because just us speaking, if an actor slows things down, puts pauses in between, you know, they just ad nauseum, you know, <laughs> yeah. you, 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 just by how it comes out. You have to make a choice there and 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 so it you really have to look at editorial as a brand new thing it really has to be a brand new thing you know um and you have all this great source material from the script and from the production what you did on the day but you know they're very they're very different from each other and now it becomes a hybrid of the two and mix with music and sound editing. And, you know, it's just, it. you could go on and on. But like, you know, I care. I care about first frame and I care about last frame. That's all I'm focused on, you know, until it's done. And when it's done, I'm done. I'm, I'm walk away done. There's nothing more, you
1: know?
0: Yeah. Um- well, look, I, I would don't want to keep you too much longer, so I'd love to uh, wrap this up in uh, in your good graces if we can. Uh, I really want to just compliment you again. I this movie's tremendous. I, it's one of my favorite things I've seen this year. Um, and awesome. what I would like is for you to, I guess, like help our audience figure out when and how they can find and see this movie.
2: Well, I'm going to let you in. It is Nightstream, and it is going to be. Uh, let's take a look. I think it's the 10th. I think it's 10:10. Uh, 10, 10. Okay. At uh, 9 p.m., I believe I would have to look at the schedule again because it just got released. But okay. uh, yeah, it's um, it's
1: is is, is anyone fact checking me here? No, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> what fact checking you because I'm covering Nightstream. You and are. So I have the. Uh, oh, I'm so excited! The lineup is so good. It's killer. Uh, you know, it's, I'm a, I'm a genre
2: freaker, so I love. You know, this is like this is everything that I love, and I'm I'm glad that we're playing um, genre festivals like we are because then I get to see all sorts of cool things too.
0: Yeah. And Nightstream. correct me if I'm wrong. People can tune into this, right? Like this this is one of the online festivals that people can tune in for.
2: Correct. And we are going to have, I know this, I, I haven't looked, I, I think I saw that we were playing Saturday. So we're playing the first Saturday of it. I believe it's 10, 10. Cool. I think it's at 9 PM. I think that's what Nicole told me. And, uh, we have a second screening as well. We are not doing VOD. We are doing like you have like a four-hour window each time to watch this film. So okay. it's one of those scenarios where you gotta you have to do it at a, by a certain time, or you you can't do it. You know? yeah. yeah, I think it has to. You probably have like a two-hour window to start it within that because it's only. A four-hour period total that it's available. Right, so it's
0: not
1: four hours from Fantastic when you Fest. start. Yeah, right. Yeah, Correct. Fantastic Fest just did this where okay. it's a four-hour window that you do. And yes, you would be on Saturday, and the start time is nine p.m. Eastern. Well, that so. is
2: that is a cherry slot if I've ever heard one. You yes, know? sir. That's Saturday a damn 9 good slot. 9, 9 p.m. slot. You know, that's yeah. a cherry slot. So.
0: Well, uh, so our listeners, please look out for that and, and uh, you know, Google Nightstream and make sure you know how to get to this uh, 9 p.m. on Saturday the 10th, because I, I cannot recommend this movie highly enough. It's one of my favorite 2020 movies.
1: And I'll say I've seen a handful of these Nightstream releases in prepping for the festival and you should absolutely buy a badge. There is oh, badge so much cool stuff in here. Uh, Dinner in America is going to be there. Uh, uh, Timo Tjahjanto's new movie is going to be there. Oh, I hope man. I pronounced that correctly. Yeah. That's going to be. Uh, and the new um, uh, Mr. Oizo. Uh, what's his name? He did Deerskin. Uh, why can't I mm-hmm. make his name? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Quentin DePew, His mm-hmm. new movie Mandible is going to be there. So this is going to be absolutely killer.
2: Jesus Christ. Did he just get one sh- like shot out like, uh,
1: in covid I Dude, that dude's insane. We he pumps playing... out music and films like crazy.
2: We were supposed to be playing, uh, so Boston Underground, we were going to play with Deerskin. So he's made another film in between? I
1: Apparently. guess so. It's called Mandible. Okay, and well, I, yes. it's, it's going to be bonkers. So, uh-huh. you know, that's, it is what that's it is. Awesome.
2: That's awesome. But awesome. I'm glad someone to, something in COVID. Jesus.
1: Yeah, right? <laughs> well, to, to reiterate what Garrett said, your movie was awesome. It was so good. I think anyone who listens to our show, yeah. uh, I can pretty much guarantee that you're going to enjoy it. And even if you don't enjoy it, you're going to be happy you watched it. it. It's just really phenomenal. I can't think of anything like it. Yeah. But I want to ask a question completely separate from that. Yeah, I have a lot of holes in my Chuck Norris filmography. Uh, yeah. There's a lot of things I haven't seen. What's like the one thing okay. I should so, check out immediately? Okay,
2: If you have to check out one... I'm not going to just give you one. I'm going to give you top five to check out.
1: Got it. You're Beautiful.
2: On the list. Okay. Let's start. You want to go up or down? You want to go up or down?
1: Let's go five to one with one being the, the, the one. Okay.
2: Let, okay. We're going to go five though, right? So Yeah. Five works. Okay. We're going backwards. I'm going <laughs> to say, God damn, this is so hard. Okay.
1: <laughs> I hope you open with top dog.
2: <laughs> no i i'm, I'm gonna no I'm not, no that is not a period of chuck norris that i like so i i am going to say okay here we go definitive adams chuck norris top five all time number five missing an action okay? okay okay number four the octagon number okay. three code of silence I number, love that title. Number two, we are going Forced Vengeance. And number one, for all of those that love you know, Walker Texas Ranger, there was the OG original. Uh with is it Lone Wolf. Lone Wolf McQuaid baby. <laughs> yeah. And Barbara Carrera, which is Adam's absolute number one. Like my right on. my sixteen millimeter print gets so much play down the downstairs. So, so jealous. Um, yeah, it, it, it's Lone Wolf, Lone Wolf has got, there's a scene where he gets buried, like David Carradine's character, his name is Raleigh, and he buries him in the desert, uh, in his, in his, <laughs> in his uh, cruiser, but it's, you know, it's like a, it's like a Bronco or something, but it's got this supercharger in it. And what they don't know is just how how much horsepower this baby really has. They, they bury him with like a bulldozer and he literally they
1: didn't figure upon his horsepower
2: well they I mean Raleigh stuffs him in there, and he like he says a memento to remember you by as he rip, rips off his fucking badge and uh Chuck wakes up, there's some shit going on upstairs, like up above with his partner, like you know it, it, but anyway. Chuck takes a fucking pearl beer. That's like he takes his fucking can of pearl beer. He opens it. He takes a swig of it, but he, he dumps most of it on his fucking head. Then he hits the fucking supercharger and the fucking the, the truck shoots out of the ground. <laughs> and like, dude's running at it. He opens a door, shotgun blast, knocks that guy down. It's, it's a hell of a scene, guys. You uh, just sold, I, sold me on all incredible. of Chuck Norris's
0: filmography with one scene.
2: It's yeah. very American. It's, it's very American when that happens. It's amazing. It really is.
0: Is uh, that
1: in his Canon Films era or no?
2: This is not Canon. This is Orion. So yeah. Oh, okay, I, cool. Yeah, this is... That fares uh, a little
1: better in my, right, in my brain. Yeah.
2: He's he's just getting to Canon Group kind of... Well, no, that's not true because he did, he did like the Octagon was Canon Group uh, before the fucking awesome logo that we all think of. Yeah, know, yeah. It's, it's just prior. So it kind of lets you down because it starts and it just says the canon group, and you're like, ah, oh, there's no fucking logo here. Come on, I yeah. want the canon logo, you know? But if you get into, like, Delta Force and, like, Invasion USA, then you're kind of in that other, you know, that other territory. Um, yeah. Silent Rage is an honorable mention uh, <laughs> around the... I would put that as the... the uh, Silent Rage is fun because it's kind of a, a slashery kind of uh, action movie. and. Ooh. You also get Ron Silver, so I'm a, I'm a
1: big, oh, ooh, big, big fan. <laughs> big you know,
2: fan, oh, Ron. We we gotta got bring me in for like a Blue Steel discussion or something here. Oh, that would be amazing! Please, Adam, Ron,
0: please come back and do something like that with us. We would love it.
2: Can I? Can we yes. do a grindhouse night? Can we do? Yeah. a grindhouse night? Oh, oh, yes. We please. would love to. Let You're talking to the right guys. Please let me come for the grindhouse, That'd night. I'd love to. I'd love to. You know, I, I'm a big fan, and uh, you know, certainly. Um, of all things, uh, celluloid, uh, also a big fan. So I have a pretty decent, you know, grindhouse collection down in the basement. So maybe it's like awesome.
1: 125 features or so. Whoa, um, damn. So Dude, jealous. Yeah, there's this there's this group around us called Exhumed Films. And it's yeah. like a collective of dudes that just collect old prints, 16, yeah. 35, all that stuff. And that's all that they do is, you know, they find local venues and project it. And it is unbelievable the breadth of of just cinema that they have found or uncovered or, you know, restored or not restored, just played as is. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. What's uh, like your, what is like? your crown jewel film that you have, like in a can? Well, my
2: crown jewel 100% is Lone Wolf McQuaid. I took huh. this. Right here, on. Here's the, here's the little backstory on that. It was my birthday uh, two years ago and I woke up to, you know, I like looking at eBay for 16 millimeter prints, like a freak, you know, when I wake up in the morning see if anything new popped overnight and boom, it's sitting there. Literally my birthday, August 5th, fucking print of Lone Wolf McQuaid. Starting bid, $399. That's way higher than I would ever go on a print, but it's Lone Wolf. So I dumped a bunch of stuff to buy it, and I and I won it. I think I got it for like close to like 480 bucks or something. Whoa. There was like another bidder, but, um, but this is my number one white whale. So yeah. I was willing to do whatever it took. It's LPP. It's gorgeous. There's like, maybe a couple of emotion, emotion, scratches, like at some point way in the corner, it doesn't detract from the film at all. It's pristine. It's gorgeous. It's, you know, that and Force vengeance were my two, um, like prints that just in, in the collection. But if, if we do a grindhouse thing, I will, I will tell you what I have and I'll, and I'll tell you what my favorite ones are because, um, I'm just, I have a, I have a, uh, you know, strange behavior. I have a print of strange behavior too that, that's really sharp so i can awesome. see that we've got less than a minute so yeah I, better... I was gonna say no. well,
0: please come back and do that and uh you know to. we'll 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 plug the movie on the back end of this too we'll put our own uh, uh closing on this to remind people the the time and date to see your movie
2: thank you guys and thank you to your audience i had a blast
0: dude right thank on. you so for much for being with with here us. adam right on guys and good luck right with the movie. yeah all right.
1: thank you boys all right yeah Take...
0: appreciate your time man
1: all right bye guys see ya. All right, that was our interview with Adam Raymeyer. His film Dinner in America is going to premiere this Saturday at nine p.m. Eastern Standard Time as part of the Nightstream Festival. Go online, check out—I believe it's nightstream.org—for uh, your opportunity to watch that, as well as a collection of just like truly incredible stuff. It's such a good lineup, and it's cheap as fuck. So uh, yeah. definitely, definitely, a frontline Dinner in America,
0: and, and that's a. Uh... Uh, that's this Saturday, uh, which is October 10th, um, yes.
1: 9
0: p.m. Uh, yeah, and and huge thank you to Adam for uh, uh, giving us so much of his time. He was a delight. Um, mm. And please uh, check out all five of his Chuck Norris recommendations. Uh, upon <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Dude, I might watch Lone Wolf,
1: Wolf McQuaid tonight because, like, I got some screeners to watch for festivals, but, like, I've gotten so just like like monkey brained out of it that I was like that's why I, I put on Possessor last night. I was like, I'm just yeah. putting this on because I don't need to write about it. Yes. I might just put on Lone Wolf McQuaid just as like a, a function to relax.
0: Yeah. I've seen none of the Chuck Norris he recommended, so I will watch them all. Yeah. Um but yeah, so thank you to Adam for uh his time and we hope you all enjoy Dinner in America. When you see it this Saturday, because if you're listening to this, you're definitely going to watch it this Saturday. You should. Hell yeah. Um, and uh, you can find uh, our show on Twitter and Facebook and uh, email us at i like ILikeToMovie at gmail.com. Uh, that's the numeric two. Um, and uh, you can find me on uh, Twitter and Letterboxd at Filmadelphia. Uh, that's with an F. And uh, cinema76.com.
1: Uh, yes, yeah, same thing for me at Dan Scully on all those things. Twitter, uh, Letterboxd, uh, cinema76.com. I will be doing coverage for Nightstream at cinema76. So check that out. I've got some coverage for the uh, currently ongoing Salem Horror, Horror Festival at Findy.com. Uh, you should definitely check out. So, there's a lot of cool stuff at Salem Horror Fest as well. Uh, so, another online one that is also cheap and is running through this weekend. So, you definitely want to check that out too. And
0: um, one more thing I wanted to remind people, Dan, is we have a YouTube page now. We're yes. putting up some pretty fun, like kind of non sequitur episodes. Uh, we just interviewed. We had like a really fun episode with an old friend of mine, Ron Gallo. He's a musician you might know. Um, yeah, we've been doing a lot of fun stuff over there. So check us out on YouTube. Look us up there and uh, uh, check out some of the stuff we've been putting up up there. We should have something fresh up there next week.
1: And I also have been working on a side uh, podcast uh, project called Hot Property with my buddy Steve. And it's really just us talking shit, but uh, you can check it <laughs> out. It is available on Spotify as well as Depp Impact. That is my girlfriend's podcast. is also also available on Spotify. Uh, you got to get on an episode, man. Yeah,
0: um, I would love it's to. It's
1: really a lot of fun. She's going through Depp's entire filmography during a year that is more tumultuous for him than it is for the rest <laughs> of us because he lives the life of a monster. And. Um, <laughs> Oh, you know what? I hate doing this, but I'm going to do it. I voted by mail today, and it was very easy. And you can trace your ballot online. So please go out and vote. Uh, get just get out there and and let your voice be heard. There's so many ways to do it, and mail-in voting is safe. Uh, I, I with my experience, uh, it's been very easy. So vote early, vote hard, and uh, you know, just think about our future.
0: That's awesome. I'm I'm right there with you. I I, I will echo every single word you just said. Um. Uh, So uh, my name is Garrett Smith and I like to movie movie My name is Dan
1: Scully and I like to movie movie
0: And we all know that you like to movie movie Because Because we like like to movie